You know, eight days seems to be, there's something, seems to be something about eight days with my kids. All of them at eight days old uh, had something uh, that happened. Uh, Gracie, my oldest, uh, at eight days, we were evacuating from our home in Pascagoula, Mississippi for a hurricane. Uh, Timmy, at eight days old, also Father's Day, we had to take him to the emergency room because he was having uh, some, some issues and uh, we had to take him to get him checked out. And then Annie, at eight days old, my youngest daughter, uh, she was put in the hospital at Children's Hospital in Birmingham because she ended up with an infection in her bloodstream. Uh, she had strep, the same type of strep that you and I would get, but it had gotten into her bloodstream. And at eight days old, that's very, very dangerous. They all are okay. The only one that seemed to avoid the eight days was my youngest son, Eli, and that's only, I think, because we didn't have him at eight days old. He was adopted at two and a half years old, uh, but if I were a betting man, which I'm not, but if I were, I would guarantee you something happened at eight days old for him. And if nothing else, at eight days of us having him, I can tell you that we were in the middle of China in the city of Guangzhou, uh, rushing to try to figure out how to get all the paperwork signed and get everything taken care of so that we could bring him home. And in all of those instances, uh, there it was at one point in each of those instances where I asked the question, why is this happening? Uh, why is my daughter in the hospital at eight days old? Why am I taking my son to the emergency room? at eight days old on Father's Day. Why is this happening? Why are we evacuating for a hurricane with an eight-day-old baby? Why am I in the middle of a foreign country trying to figure out how to get my son home? Why is this happening? I, I, I would also be willing to bet, if I were a betting man, that at some point in the past two weeks, you've asked, why is all of this happening? Why am I having to go through? Why is my family having to go through this? Whatever your situation is, maybe you're not working, maybe you're a small business owner and you've had to shut your business, maybe you have a relative or you yourself are sick, maybe you're just tired of being at home. Why is this happening? Well, the reason this is happening is because of sin. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that there's something you did specifically or I did that's, that caused this directly, that's, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is the reason there is sickness in the world at all is because sin exists in the world. You see, God created man. If you look back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God created man. He created the, everything we see, the universe, the earth, and then he created man, and then he created woman from man. And he gave them a beautiful, perfect place to live, the Garden of Eden. And he gave them all that they needed to live. They could eat from any, any fruit, anything from, from, the, from any tree in the garden except for one. They had fellowship with God. They had all that they needed, but they could not eat from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. They chose to sin. And when they made that decision, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, sickness, death, all of the, the, the horrible things that we see, that's when that entered the world. And you and I, being born with a sin nature, the Bible teaches, 
We are all sinful. We've all committed sins. And so while we haven't done anything necessarily to directly cause what's happening, what, the reason what's happening is happening is because sin exists. And that, that's what we want to look at today. As we continue our series on the doctrines of our faith, basic training, we're going to look at, at sin, the doctrine of sin and what that means for us, how that impacts our lives. We're going to walk through this together this doctrine together, and we're going to learn uh, what the reason, the, the cause for sin, the consequences of sin, all of, all of these things, but also what God has done to fix the problem of sin. Uh, I, I don't have the solution to the problems that we face. I, I don't know what the, the solution to the problem of the coronavirus is. I don't have uh, the solution to all the problems that you have or my family that we have, that I have. Uh, but I do know who has the solution. I know what the solution is in terms of who that solution is the, to the problem of sin, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And so we are going to point to him this morning. Jesus himself said this in Matthew nine thirteen. He said, I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. And we are all sinners. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We all fall into that category of committing wrong acts. And uh, we, we probably need a definition of sin before we go forward. And that definition is that a sin, literally from Webster's Dictionary, a sin is an immoral act against God or his divine law. God is God. He is perfect. He has set what is right and wrong. And so any act that I commit that is against that law, against God himself, that is a sin. The reality is that most of us, many of us, try to ignore sin. We pretend that it's not as bad as it is. We try to cover it up. We ignore it altogether. We try to tone it down. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that sin exists. And we need to agree with G.K. Chesterton when he said this. He said, whatever else is true about man, it is certainly true that man is not what he was intended to be. And, and the reason for that is sin. That is absolutely 100% true is that you and I, and I think we could all agree, we, we make mistakes and we're not what we should be. And if you look in Scripture, the Bible shows us why we are not what we should be, and that's because of the universality of sin. Uh, every person, every human being has committed a sin. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Romans 3.23 tells us that. And Romans 3.10-12 says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Uh, sin is a fundamental characteristic of every person, and, and, and we all have that within us. We have all sinned, and, and on our own, we cannot make ourselves pleasing to God. Adam, Adam, right down to modern man, we all are born with a sin nature. Psalm 51, verse 5, David says, when, when confronted with his own sin, he said, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. I mean, from the time that we're conceived in our mother's womb, we are 
born with that sin nature. In addition to being born with a sin nature, at some point in your life, at some point in my life, I made a choice to do what was wrong. Knowing right from wrong, I chose to do what was wrong. And then beyond that, there are times when as human beings, we do blatantly. We don't care. We know we're doing something wrong, and we do it blatantly, defying God's rules. And so we all are guilty of this, myself included. We're all guilty. And then there is what's called the total depravity of man, which goes with the, the fact that we've all sinned. And that doesn't mean that you're as low as you can possibly be in sin. It doesn't mean that you've committed every sin in the book. It just mean that, means that sin affects every part of who I am, my heart, my spirit, my soul, my, my inner being, my whole person is affected and influenced by my sin nature, by the fact that I have sinned. And because of this, any person is capable of committing any sin. So when I preach this message this morning, I'm not doing it from a pedestal, from a holier-than-thou perspective, because I know that I am just as capable of committing any sin that there is as anyone else is capable of committing any sin. So this morning, we're going to look at three aspects of sin. We're going to look at three aspects as we walk through the doctrine of sin. And these are uh, the, the different aspects that we see explained for us throughout God's Word. The first is this. We see the characteristics of sin. We see some characteristics of sin very clearly in Scripture. And, and when we look at, when we talk about characteristics, uh, if you look throughout Scripture, the characteristics of sin can be summarized really with primarily in three different categories, three different words. And we'll look at those together. One is ungodliness. Uh, one category is ungodliness, uh, one ca- characteristic. And that really is sin in relation to God. Uh, sin in direct relation to God, who he is, and, and what he means to me, and what he said is right and wrong. Being unlike God, this is being unlike God. This could be, you know, being anti-God altogether, uh, which most of us aren't. I mean, we do things that are anti-God, even when we don't intend to, but there are some who are, you know, do, do things in direct defiance and, and disbelief uh, of God. We were created to have fellowship with God, plain and simple. When Adam sinned, that fellowship was broken. And, and so you and I, without uh, some sort of remedy for our sin, our fellowship with God is broken. And so uh, living with sin, we are, we are living a subnormal existence. We are not, that's what I meant a few minutes ago, by we are not what we were intended to be. Uh, and, and, and what happens is the reason there is sin, the reason we choose to sin, is that we choose to go our way, rebelling against God, instead of going his way. If you look at the original fall, Genesis chapter 3, that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They did. They chose to go their way, wanting to know everything that God knew, instead of following God's rules. And that's really a result of self-centeredness. We, uh, we are consumed with our way of doing things. And see, God is supposed to be at the center of our lives. And whenever we remove him from the center of our existence, then we're going to put something else in that place, that place that belongs to God. When we remove him, we're going to put something else there. It may be ourselves. It may be something else that our world revolves around. 
And that's what's called idolatry. Not in the sense that you're bowing to a statue or some sort of image, but you are worshiping whatever controls you. And if it's not God, then it's something else. And that is idolatry. And when we do that, we're guilty of the same sin that we see in Scripture. Uh, I'll read one example of that. In Romans chapter 1, the Gentiles were guilty of idolatry before those who knew Christ came to Christ. Uh, Romans 1 verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal, immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Again, you may not be worshiping those types of things, but the principle's there. When you exchange the glory of God as the center of your life, he is the center of your life, you're going to replace it with something. In this case, it were were these things, birds, four-footed animals, things that were created. They exchanged the truth of God, verse 25, for a lie. And they worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is praised forever. And that's that's the, the, the silliness, the foolishness of this, is when I take God out of the center of my life and I replace him with anything else, I'm replacing him, including myself, with something that's created rather than the one who created it all. Uh, but we all do it. In some way, shape, form, or fashion, in, at some point in our lives, we make that mistake. The normal way of living is in fellowship with God. When we're not living in fellowship with God because of sin, we are living an abnormal existence. And this is why sin is so bad. It breaks God's heart. And every sin, no matter if I commit it towards someone else or not, every sin is ultimately a sin against God because he is the righteous God. He is the righteous judge. And he is who establishes right and wrong. So I'm committing a sin against a person, and that person is God. Another characteristic is unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is really sin as it relates to other human beings. It is when I sin and my sin affects someone else. Being out of relationship with God results, the natural result is that my relationship with others is going to be affected. In the original sin, Adam and Eve, they committed this sin. They ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then when God questioned them, the first thing that Adam did was blame his wife. And before that, their relationship was perfect. There hasn't been a perfect marriage ever since, but their relationship was perfect. But the minute they sinned, their sin affected their relationship with God and then immediately affected their relationship with each other. And that pattern's been repeated over and over and over again down through the centuries. Our sin affects others. And this is what the Bible calls unrighteousness. We look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Man's idolatry, rebellion against God, leads to immorality, unrighteous acts, things that we do, and and that, yes, it affects God, and that's the most important thing, but ultimately it's going to affect other people, our unrighteous acts. Reinhold Niebuhr, an American theologian, said this. He said, man's unrighteous deeds are rooted in his pride, in his self-love. Remember, I talked about self-centeredness. Well, that's the reason for that. The reason that Adam and Eve wanted to know what God knew was because of pride, because of ego. They wanted to be God. And, and all of us, when we disobey God, it's because of our own pride and our own ego. Pride and self-love. He continues, the reason man sins against God is that he loves himself more than he loves God. 
sins against fellow man are really evidences of his total disregard for the feeling of others. This will frequently lead to the exploitation of others. I, I want you to try to think about it this way. Um, if if I, ha- I have a glass and a, and a pitcher of water here, all right, and so when I take this glass and I fill it to the brim with water, I mean, absolutely, as full as I can get it without spilling much, there's nowhere for that water to go. I mean, it just takes the slightest little, little thing for that water to slosh out, and it's going to get all over everything. I mean, that, if, I'm, if somebody bumps me, that water goes. If, I, if I, my hand shakes a little bit, that water's going to go all over the place because it's so full of water, there's no room for, for air here. And that's what happens with us and our pride and our egos. If we are so full of ourselves that all we do is live for ourselves and our lives revolve around us, then eventually that's going to spill over and affect the people that we love. Our sins are going to affect the people that we love. So what's the solution? If I'm going to fix this, I've got to get rid of all of my pride. So that now, I mean, nothing I do is going to affect someone else. And ultimately, that, again, once I remove that, it's got to be replaced, and it has to be replaced with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit we talked about last week. And then, when my life is full of the Holy Spirit, when I'm, when I'm sloshed around in life, that's what's going to affect other people. That's what's going to impact the lives of other people. But the reason, the cause for most of our sin is that we are full of ourselves, that we are full of pride, and, and it affects everyone that we care about, everyone around us. In the Bible, all unrighteous deeds are equally condemned. They are equally condemned in Scripture. There's no categorization of sins. There's no, there are no big sins. There are no little sins. Yes, consequences, some are greater than others, but in the eyes of God, sin is sin. Mark 7, verse 21, for from within, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, uh, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. And then we look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality... Moral impurity, promiscuity, uh, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, quite a list, right? Selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I tell you about these things, Paul says, in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's all of us before Christ. That's all of us because of our pride, because of the fact that we have replaced God in the center of our lives with ourselves or something else. The natural result is that we begin to live in rebellion against God. One act of rebellion, denying Christ, denying God, disobeying God, leads to many acts of rebellion. It doesn't matter what we call it. If we call it maladjustment, if we call it falling short of God's plan, if we call it going past God's plan, if we call it iniquities, falling short, whatever the case may be, uh, just, just horrible acts, whatever we call it, sin is sin. And it's sin because God calls it sin. And the first step to getting right with God is agreeing with God about that fact. 
that sin is what it is because of his divine law, because he says that it is, and that I myself have committed sins, that I've done things wrong. That's the first step, that, that rebellion against God leads to unrighteous acts against other people, and it affects other people. The next characteristic is unbelief. Unbelief, which, okay, we've got sin against God, and then we've got sin, unrighteousness, sin as it affects other people. Well, unbelief is really sin that affects me. It's in relation to myself. Uh, the ultimate character of sin is seen in man's unbelief. And this, too, is based, the heart of this is rebellion. At the heart of this is rebellion. Uh, we see God's desire in Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God wants all people. Repentance, that's turning from sin and turning to God. That's what God wants. He wants all of us to turn away from our sin and to turn to him for forgiveness. That's his desire. And when we fail to do that, when we fail to turn from our sin and turn to God, then we assert our will over God, and this is what's called rebellion. Rebellion is an act of the human mind and the act, an act of the human will against God. That's what this is. When I act against God, that's rebellion. But the good news is, is that we can be saved by believing in Jesus Christ and committing our lives to him. But if we don't do that, if we continue in sin, and all sin comes with consequences. The result is that there are consequences for our sin. And that's what we want to look at now. The consequences. Another aspect of sin is that it, that it includes consequences. You know, the Bible uses some different phrases to uh, describe consequences. Uh, being without Christ, being aliens uh, in a foreign land. We are not what we were meant to be. Hopelessness, being without God in the world, trying to live life without having the power of God and the presence of God in your life, all of those things describe uh, our consequences of sin. But there are three things that we see in the Bible that really show us the, the deepest, the, the most horrible consequences of the sins that we commit. Uh, one is a hardened heart or a desensitized heart, desensitized to our sin. And the problem is in life... When we sin, eventually we become so desensitized to sin that we don't think about it anymore. There was a story, AP News ran a story from, from several years ago, but it was about two boys, two high school boys. And they had read an article that said that eating garlic would cause them to have lower blood pressure, which, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, I didn't worry about blood pressure, but the article said that they would have lower blood pressure and that it would, eating garlic would clean out their bloodstream, their, their, their system. And so that's exactly what these two boys did. They began eating garlic. They ate about half a head of garlic at one night, and then the next morning for breakfast, they ate four heads of garlic for breakfast. Well, they go to school, and as you can imagine, people can't even stand to be around them because they reeked of garlic. They just stunk. And finally, enough complaints came in. Uh, the principal, the head of the school, called these boys in and said, Listen, you guys are going to have to go home. We just, the, the students, the teachers can't stand to be around you. And they laughed. And they said, that They can't be that bad. We've been blowing in each other's faces all day long, and we can't smell it. And the reason was because they had become so desensitized to the stench of garlic that they couldn't smell it themselves. And that's what happens with sin. 
You know, we eventually become so desensitized to sin, the stench of sin, the awfulness of sin, that we don't notice it anymore. And we don't think about the consequences of sin, but it's, it's progressive. You see, it doesn't happen overnight. And, and, and I want to illustrate that for you. If you have uh, earbuds and you listen to music on your iPhone or, or whatever you have, you know, you have your earbuds and you put them in your ear, you start to listen to music. See if this, is, this has happened to me before. You start to listen to music. After a while, uh, it's not as loud as it was. You kind of get used to it. So you click it up a few notches. And then you listen to it for a little while. And you, you begin to get used to it. And so you click it up a few more notches, just a little bit louder, and so on and so forth. The longer you listen to it, you know, sometimes it's not good for you, but sometimes the louder you'll get. Now, if you were to unplug your earbuds, set your phone aside, leave the volume where it was, and go back to that a week later and begin listening to that music at the volume where you stopped the week before, it would blow you away. You wouldn't be able to stand it because gradually you got used to raising that volume, and that's exactly what happens with us in our sin. You commit one sin, it bothers you. I mean, you can't sleep at night. It bothers you. You commit that sin again, that same sin again a second time. It bothers you, but not quite as much. You do it a third time, it bothers you less. And eventually, over and over and over again, eventually, it doesn't bother you at all. You become so desensitized to the sin that you're committing that you don't even really think about it anymore. That's what happens to us in our sin. We become so desensitized that it doesn't bother us. And it's a gradual process. Hebrews 3.13 tells us, encourage one another daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Gradually, we get desensitized, and eventually, if we don't do something, if we don't seek forgiveness, our hearts are hardened to the sin in our lives. And a hardened heart causes us to be desensitized to our sin. Guess what? It causes us to be desensitized to the needs of others as well. And I believe with all of my heart, I don't know all the whys, why this is happening, the coronavirus, why we're dealing with all of this, but I I do believe with all my heart that one of the reasons God has allowed this to happen is to remind us that we need to pay attention to the needs of others, that we need to look out of our own little box of living, get get ourselves out of the center of our lives, because we all are to some degree, and we need to look to the people around us and look to see if our neighbors have needs that, that, that need meeting, to the people in our families, our friends, how can we meet their needs? How can we support one another? Because what happens to all of us is that we get so wrapped up in our own lives, and I've been guilty of this just as much as anybody else, running to the ball game with my son, going taking my daughters to ballet, meetings at church, other things that I have to do. I get so wrapped up in the craziness and the business, busyness of my life that I forget to think about how can I meet the needs of the people around me. And this has forced us to stop, to stop the craziness, to be away from all of that so that we can focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and that we can allow him to show us how we can meet the needs of people around us. If not, will remain desensitized to those needs, have a hardened heart to the people around us. It's been said that sin is the cancer of the soul, and it is. If it's not taken care of, it will eat you alive from inside out, and you will eventually be hardened to the effects of sin, to the consequences. Then there's another consequence. That is physical death. You know, again, you know, when sin entered the world, sickness, but death entered the world. Uh, when, when Adam and Eve chose 
to eat of that, that tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, that made them subject to physical death. Now, hear me when I say that you know, you're, someone's death, I'm not saying that someone you know, their death was caused directly by something they did. I mean, sometimes that's the case, but most of the time that's not. It's old age, it's sickness, something else that, that they didn't bring on themselves. What I am saying is, similar to sin being the cause of sickness, the reason that there's death is because of the fact that there's sin. Sin brings, one of the consequences of sin being in this world and in our lives is physical death. That's why we have death. Every man will face that. And every human, as humans, our two greatest enemies are sin and death. And on our own, man has tried for centuries, on our own, we can't find a solution to that. We can't, we can't create a, a, a solution to that. We can't solve that problem on our own. Thankfully, though, we don't have to. Sin causes death, though. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, uh, death spread to all men because all sinned. Um, that's a consequence, physical death. Another consequence is spiritual death. And this is the worst consequence of sin. It's what's called the second death, theologically speaking. Uh, death is separation. So it doesn't matter if you're talking about physical death. When you die, your soul, your spirit is separated from your body. That's physical death. Uh, spiritual death, the second death, is when your spirit is separated from God for all of eternity. And that is why the spiritual death is so much worse than the physical death. You can conquer physical death if you have faith in Christ, if you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ. But if you haven't, and you die that physical death without Christ, then you will suffer that spiritual death where you are separated from God for all of eternity in a very real place called hell. And I, I don't say that to just try to scare you, but I say that because if I didn't, I would be doing you a disservice. The Bible teaches that there is a real place called heaven and a real place called hell. And if I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I die a physical death without him, I will spend eternity separated from him in hell. And I don't want that to happen to you or anybody else. I want you to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior so you don't have to suffer that second death. Um, John 3, 18, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. If you don't have Christ, you suffer that second death spiritual death. But the glorious truth of the gospel is that you don't have to suffer that second death. You don't have to die without Jesus Christ. You don't have to be separated from God for all of eternity. You know, I wish I had a cure for all of our problems that we face right now. I don't. I, I don't know the cure, but what I do know is that there is a cure for sin. There is a cure for the sin problem that we all have. And we see that cure for sin in Scripture. I, I've been reading a lot about uh, vaccines for the coronavirus. And, and there are something like 35 different companies working, scientists, companies working, and, and universities working on this, this vaccine. Johns Hopkins is working on this vaccine. But the thing is, with vaccines, 
At a minimum, it takes 12 months to develop those vaccines, 12 to 18 months. And so as of right now, there, there's not one. Now I believe there will be. Uh, with uh, The best minds in the world are working on this, in our country are working on this. And I believe one day there will. And I, I, wish, I, I wish nothing more than, than I, I would be able to stand before you today and say, hey, guess what? There's a cure. Uh, life can go back to normal. But right now, I can't do that. But what I can do, which is even more important than than the coronavirus is I can tell you there's a cure for sin. I can tell you exactly what that cure is. That cure is the person and work of Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross by giving his life. And we're going to look at what is involved. If you want to receive that cure, here's what's involved in that. First, there needs to be a confession of sin. If you want to receive the cure that's described in Scripture in so many different ways, you first have to confess. Here, here are just some ways that that cure is, de- is described and, and why we need to confess our sins to receive that. Uh, scripture talks about this. Jesus saves us from our sin, Matthew 121. Um, our sins are wiped out, Acts 3, 19. They are washed from sin, Acts 22 and verse 16. The veil is drawn across our sin. It's covered. Jesus covers our sin, uh, Romans 4, 7. The Lord will not take into account our sin. Our sins won't be held against us if we are forgiven of sin, Romans 4, 8. We are liberated from sin. We're free from sin, Romans 6, 18. Jesus cancels our sin completely, Hebrews 9, 26. Our sins and our iniquities, God says he will remember no more. He will forget them as far as the east is from the west. Our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103, 12. Um, our cure for sin is forgiveness. And that's how, that's what all of those references, all of those verses are describing. But in order to receive that forgiveness, the first step is that you have to agree with God about your sin. You have to confess your sins, and it has to be made to God. No other man, not a priest or anything like that. I mean, we're all sinful. All men are sinful. So in order for me to receive forgiveness, I have to confess my sins to a perfect and holy God. Because even when I sin against you, that sin is ultimately against God. Uh, yes, I need to make amends with you, and that's what Scripture teaches, but my sin is ultimately against God. So if I'm going to have forgiveness, then I have to confess my sins to God. He is the one that, that we confess to. Confession. What is confession? Well, it's an admission of guilt or an acknowledgement of my sin and guilt. It is acknowledging that I have sin. It's admitting, again, agreeing with God about my sin. Lord, I have sin. You're right. I'm convicted of sin. You're right. I have sinned. Um, if we confess, though, our promise is found in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins to God, here's the cure. He forgives us of all sin. He cleanses us from our sin and unrighteousness. So there's confession and then there's cleansing that takes place. I confess my sins to God and all of the, all of the, the filth, uh, even if I've become desensitized to it, it's still there. That's clean. God washes it away. He cleanses me of my sin. Hebrews 9, 22, according to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Our penalty for sin is paid by the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. 
Jesus Christ, God himself, became man. He lived a perfect, sinless life and died a perfect, sinless death. He shed his blood. In the Old Testament, in order for any sin to be forgiven, blood had to be shed. Under the old law, you had to find a near-perfect lamb or other animal, depending on the situation, and that animal had to be sacrificed, and it was the shedding of blood. Their blood was shed instead of yours. That's how it worked. And so, and under the new law, Jesus Christ, God himself, he became that perfect sacrifice. All those old sacrifices, they were only good for certain sins and for a temporary period of time. But Jesus being the perfect lamb of God, his perfect life, he shed his blood and he became the once and for all perfect sacrifice for our sins. No more sacrifices need to be made, but it was his blood that cleanses us from our sin. The reason God can forgive us when we confess our sins is found in 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sins. I want to show you how this, at least illustrate how this works. I have a whiteboard here. And I'm going to do, I just did something that you are absolutely not supposed to do with a whiteboard. I took a permanent marker, a Sharpie, and I wrote on this whiteboard. And I wrote the word sin, all right? Because that's what sin does for us. I mean, it, once we sin, it is there. And, and we can't get rid of it on our own. There's nothing that you and I can do. Just like this permanent marker now on this whiteboard, I cannot wipe it away. There's nothing I'm going to be able to do on my own to get this out, get this off of this whiteboard. Luckily, though, I have another marker here. And I use red for a reason. It represents the blood of Jesus Christ. And so uh, you can find a piece of paper at home and color along with me if you want to. Just take just a minute. Uh, We're going to have a little time of coloring. Kids, get you some colors, uh, but do it quickly so you can come back, all right? We're just going to take this red marker, and we're going to cover up that permanent sin that exists in our lives, and we'll see what happens. So Jesus Christ became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. His blood covers our sins. He went to the cross, and on the cross took on all of the sin of all mankind. He's willing to pay the price. He's willing to be the sacrifice. And he did that in a miraculous way, in a way that everyone watching, it could not be denied that he was truly the Son of God. And the miracle is that he was willing to do that, but the the miracle continues with the fact that now Jesus' blood covers our sins. So what was once not removable now is able to be removed. And that's what Jesus does for us. Because of his sacrifice, the scripture says that we will be as scarlet, that we will be white as snow. And the only way that happens is if I confess my sins to Jesus Christ, the only perfect sacrifice, and I accept the forgiveness that he offers. But once I do, I'm cleansed of sin. Once and for all, I am free 
from the consequences of sin. Yes, I, may, I will still die a physical death, but I don't have to die that spiritual death. Nothing that I can do can remove my sin on my own. There's nothing I can do. I can't solve the sin problem because I'm part of the sin problem. The reason I'm sinning is because of me. There's nothing that I can do to solve the problems in our world today. I may can help them. You know, with my sin problem, I may can, I can make, we're talking about flattening the curve. I may can flatten the curve a little bit. I may can make my sin less noticeable, slow it down just a little bit. Uh, maybe put on a good face where you don't see it. Uh, With this virus that we're facing, you know, we can flatten the curve, and we should do that. We should take precautions. We should do all the things that we're supposed to be doing. That's why we're having worship the way that we are. We can flatten the curve, but I can't cure sickness. I can't cure disease. I can't solve your problems for you, all that, that, that comes from that, from the virus right now. I wish I could, but I can't. But Jesus can. And even man who discovers cures... It's only because God allows him and gives him the ability to do that. Um, Jesus can solve our problems. He may do it today. He may do it tomorrow. He may do it later. He may do it in heaven and not in this life. I, I can't tell you exactly how he's going to do that. But ultimately, all the problems you have in life, if you know him as Savior, will be solved forever. What I can tell you is one problem that you can solve right now today is your sin problem. Jesus will give you forgiveness of your sins, and he will wash you just as white as this board. Whiter, because there's probably still a few particles on this board. He will clean you up and make you acceptable to him and secure your place in eternity with him in heaven, even if trials never stop. Now, here's the beauty of this. This whole doctrine is that the ugliness of sin, and it is ugly, but the ugliness of sin highlights the beauty of salvation. Sin is so ugly and so destructive and so hurtful, and I can't do anything about it. But the beauty of salvation is is that I don't have to solve the problem because Jesus does. Even if my sickness leads to death, even if my problems in this earth are never solved, all I, if I'm saved, if I'm forgiven, if I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, I have everything I need because my eternity is secure. Isaiah one eighteen, a promise for all of us. Uh, this invitation is for all of us. Isaiah one eighteen, come let us discuss this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. Jesus Christ wants you to know him personally. He wants you to experience the beauty and the joy, the freedom that comes from being forgiven of your sin. Now, I don't know where you're watching from today, at home, who you're watching with, but I have to believe that there's somebody out there that wants this forgiveness, that hasn't received this forgiveness. And and the beauty of this is that you can receive forgiveness right where you are. All you have to do is bow your head, And pray, cry out to God. Maybe you've never even prayed to him before, but you can cry out to him and say, Lord, I don't know everything, but I know that I've I've sinned. I agree with you about my sin. I've committed sins. I've done things wrong. And I believe, Jesus, that you died for my sins. I invite you to come into my life, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to make me clean 
to wash me as white as snow, as we just read. Forgive me of my sins and save me. Lord, I give my life to you. Now, if that's you, we want to hear from you. Um, No, you don't have to understand all there is to know about the Bible. But if you have asked Jesus into your hearts, we want to know that. We want to be able to share with you what you need to do next and how you can grow in your relationship with Christ. If you're not living with Christ, you're living an abnormal existence. And and the first step to living the way God intended for you to live is by accepting Jesus. But there's more that follows. And there's a slide that's come up, and it has our contact information for our church. Um, You can email right now, uh, info at wallhighway.com, and we'll get back with you. Um, You can call during business hours tomorrow and and speak with one of our staff, and we will share with you. You can go to our website and get information about the church. Um, You can message us on Facebook right now. Wherever you are, you can message the church. We have pastors that are um, online right now that are watching, waiting for your messages. If you have a question about what we've talked about today, if you have a a question about the decision that you've made, then you can message them. Uh, If you are a believer and you just want information about our church family, if you want to know what what we're doing and why we're doing it, you can use these contact sources. Or if you've made some other decision or you want, there's a spiritual matter that you want to discuss, something going on in your life, we want to hear from you. This is all, as I mentioned last week, this is also the time in our service where we're committing, we're responding to God's word. And one of the ways that we do that is, is by giving of our tithes and offerings. Um, this is the time of commitment where we usually do that as a church family. And so uh, just briefly, I, I want to go over with you how to do that. Church family, um, you, you have a couple of options. You can give online. Um, Remember, this is an act of faith, and we want to continue to give you the opportunity to do that. It is an act of worship, and you can do that right now or in a few minutes when we finish our service. You can go online, and there's a slide right now that shows you how to do that, the link to be able to do that. Um, You can also give via bank, uh, online bill pay, if your bank has online bill pay. And there's a slide coming up now with the information that you will need to be able to do that. The church address and the reference number for for the general fund, uh, you can do that. You can set up online bill pay to do that. Or you can mail a check. Our our mailbox is secure. It's locked. So you can uh, can mail your check in. Same address. uh, Just mail that. And and, and folks, uh, you know, I mentioned that. Um, and maybe not for the reasons that some of you think. I mean, you know, uh, there, there's the idea that we, as churches, that all we want uh, is, is money, and that, that's not what this is about. Really, I'm, I'm talking to Wall Highway church members here. Uh, the reason this is so very important to us is because this is something we do in response to the blessings that God has given us, and we do it as an act of faith. When you give your life to Christ, you're giving your life to Christ, and he asks us to, to show our faith in him, and one of the ways we do that is by giving of our tithes and offerings, and so we want to make sure you have the, continue to have the opportunity to do that. And again, if there is another decision that you've made or information that you want, please uh, contact us. We're going to close this morning with a time of prayer. And I just invite you as a family or if you're by yourself, uh, just to, to come together at this moment, wherever you are, and just join me in prayer as we close out our service today. Father, thank you for the beauty of salvation. Um, Lord, we recognize that we have all fallen short of your glory Uh, that there are mistakes that we have all made. We all fall into that category. None of us are exempt. 
but thankfully you provide for us a cure for sin. Jesus Christ, you gave your life, you shed your blood, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And all we have to do is cry out to you and and, and ask you to forgive us and you will freely forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all sin. And then as we walk with you daily, we still make mistakes. None of us are perfect, but those sins are covered. And we come to you and ask for forgiveness so that we maintain a right relationship with you. But we are forgiven for all of eternity. Our, our eternities are set, are secure. That even if this life, the problems that we face end in death, and eventually they will. We will all face that day. Even when that happens, we don't have to fear because we know that you have secured us through your sacrifice, your forgiveness, the salvation that you provide. Lord, I pray for each individual and each family that's at home today. I pray for your blessings to be upon them. I pray that you would keep them healthy, that you would keep them safe. We pray for all of the the challenges Uh, how we adjust to those challenges that you would give us endurance and strength and peace as we face new challenges every day. Lord, I pray that we would just look to you and depend on you each and every moment, each and every second of each and every day. And if we do that, it it won't be easy every second of every day, but we will have comfort and assurance of knowing that if we depend on you, you will provide And you will see us through this challenge, any challenge that we face in life. Because again, ultimately, we are secure from an eternal perspective. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for your perfect sacrifice, your blood that washes us white as snow. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you all. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, to worship, and I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you and that he would protect your family. May God bless you as you continue to live each and every day. Trust in him, and I guarantee you he will provide for you. Thank you.